Welcome to the show. In this one, I have a conversation with radio host and comedian Matt Collins. Matt got his start in radio at 17 years old, at 87.7 The End in Anchorage. He was the overnight jockey and intern there, learning the ropes and getting used to being on air. From there, he went on to work as a producer and board op at 100.5 The Fox. But then, after the Bob and Mark show moved from The Fox to 106.5 K-Whale in 2004, so did Matt. At K-Whale, he continued to produce the show, as well as host his own afternoon show. He says that he got the nickname Alice because Bob Lester, of the Bob and Mark show, said he looked like Lane Staley of Alice in Chains, if he was into donuts instead of smack. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribed to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juno, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Matt Collins. Throughout his life, Matt has been drawn to live performances. When he was a teenager, he performed in local plays. From 18 to 26, he played the drums in a number of bands. And then from 26 on, he's done stand-up comedy. When he was younger, Matt says that he was a basement dweller and that he was intimidated by the world. But as he got older and more involved in stand-up comedy, he became more comfortable with the world and his place in it. So here he is, Matt Collins. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. I just listened to the uh, Joker, the Bail Bondsman episode, and that was a uh, that was a good hour of podcasting, my man. How do you know Joker, the Bail Bondsman? How do I know him? Yeah. So I met Joker through his buddy Max during the third issue of Crude, which focused on the um, hip hop slash like urban art scene in Alaska. And I knew that if I was going to do an issue on Alaska rap, then I needed to get Joker. But Joker was uh, at that time incarcerated. So I had to get a note to Joker with interview questions through his friend Max. So that that's how I, uh, how I met Joker. That was, I mean, how long ago was he in, in prison? I thought it was a good chunk of years ago that he finally 
got out. I thought he'd been out for a while. So that issue came out in 2014. Okay. And the episode that I did with Joker was, was it last year or the year before? Yes. I feel like it was either, I think it was 2019. Okay. I think it was like episode 47 or something. Okay. Okay. And I think we're in the hundreds now. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was just cruising through the feed, you know, just kind of like checking checking it out. And I listened to Joker, which I thought was an awesome episode. I, you know, just growing up here in Anchorage, I'd seen him around. I mean, he was just like a fixture, right? I never saw him in concert, never saw him perform, but I sure as hell watched his music videos and I knew who he was back in the 90s, just being an Anchorage kid the way I am, you know? For sure. Yeah. And then getting to hear his story. And then I also uh, listened to the Dr. Fermento episode, which mm. was yeah super informative. And it's always a, just another old school, you know, Anchorageite that, uh, that I'm like, oh, man, I've never gotten to hear, you know, these people talk. So great job on those. I thought, get a really cool show. So I'm honored to be here is what I'm saying. Right on, man. You know, the the funny thing about the Fermento episode is I was introduced to him through the Anchorage Press because he has a long-standing uh, column in there. And when I was the editor for a very brief amount of time, I um, I had to read all of his columns. And I'm like, wow, this guy, like, kind of, he's talking about beer, but he's also talking about culture. He's talking about Anchorage. He's talking about the city, the people, you know. So he's kind of looking at the culture of Anchorage through the lens of, you know, beer, right? So that's just his yeah. kind of in point. And so I was like, yeah, I really want to, get him on the podcast. And so I got him and I, I told my wife, Carrie, I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to Dr. Fermento. She's like, oh, okay. You know, just thinking we're going to talk about beer. And at that point in time, it turned out to be like her favorite episode. She's like, oh, I love that episode. Yeah, it was super good. Especially at the end where he's talking about his dad's alcoholism and just, he has a real way of probably a real writerly way of connecting his life to his topics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, that was great for him. I don't I don't know why I'm on the podcast now, but I'm happy to be here. So I'm standing <laughs> on the shoulders of giants. Well, you know, <laughs> one thing that I, I feel like I want to ask you is why, I mean, because you've been on the radio for so long, and I, I think I take that as such a compliment, you saying you really enjoyed those two episodes and that they're, you know, really good pieces of uh, hour-long podcasts. Like, what about them uh, stuck out to you? You just get to hear people talk and you get to hear people talk in a way that isn't presented, you know, they're just having a conversation. And that is what radio, when it's at its best, mm -hmm. can do. And that is what podcasting at its core is. So you kind of see the difference there, right? You know, like podcasting in my opinion, when I like it, it's less performative. It's a little less, less sticky. It's just a human, you know, connection. And when radio's, you know, truly killing it, when you as a radio personality are really nailing what you're supposed to be doing, you're making a human connection with somebody who isn't there mm -hmm. with somebody who isn't on the phone in the room, someone that is probably just driving um, auto parts around town, someone who's going to the store. And for that, you know, 30 to 45 seconds, you're able to, you know, express yourself in a 
normal, maybe entertaining human way to an absolute stranger. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what podcasting is the best at. That's why This American Life has been around for mm -hmm. so long. That's why uh, consistently, you know, like NPR, you know, just like is uh, is a crushing force when it comes to, you know, radio, because mm -hmm. it's all about shows. It's about the personalization of everything. And um, when radio can do that, I'm really, I am really happy. And that's what I try to strive for now that I've been doing radio for as long as I have, because I've basically worn just about every job that you can have in the industry here in Anchorage, aside from selling advertising or, yeah, basically just, I haven't sold advertising yet, but everything else I have done since I was 17 years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, it's really cool. I feel exceptionally blessed to be in a position where I've basically had the same career for a very long time and I still, you know, find new cool things that I like about it, especially since things have changed so much from 2000 to now. 20, 21 years or something like that. Less time than Dr. Fermento has done his column in the Anchorage Press, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm not trying to not trying to sound like a big baddie or anything, you know. I've been the around the block a couple of times, but you know, I've, I've I've done it for a moment or two. Do you remember the first time you got that that human connection on the radio, kind of uncovering that that human experience with a stranger? Sure, I. Um, I used to listen to, as many kids my age who grew up in Anchorage, used to listen to Loveline all the time. So it was Adam Carolla, it was Dr. Drew. That was when I was growing up on, on radio. And I was I remember exactly what I was doing when I was listening to that show as well. And I was playing StarCraft. Mm -hmm. And that, I had an old school computer. I was in... Um, I, I was in the very room that I am in right now, which was my <laughs> sister's room at the time. And I was over here at this other corner of the bedroom, which is now my studio. I was playing on a computer and I was listening to Loveline. And that was the first time where I was actually listening to the radio in a kind of like personalities, listening to who I thought Adam Carolla is or, you know, what he presented himself to be at the time. And, you know, if you if you talk every night on the radio for a certain amount of years, mm -hmm. eventually any kind of pretense just falls apart. Now, there's, you know, guys like Phil Hendry um, who make a character, you know, every night. And, you know, his radio show is pretending to be somebody that he isn't also on the phone. It... I mean, I'm maybe getting into the minutia of, you know, radio personalities here, but for the most part, if someone talks into a microphone in, in you know, on radio for a number of years, eventually you're just basically going to find out everything about them because everybody only has so many things to say. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to Adam Carolla now, I mean, now he's just like going over the same freaking stories that he was telling back in 1999. But at that time... <laughs> Growing up, playing StarCraft, listening to Loveline, and 
another radio moment um, that I had that actually got me into the industry back when I was 17 is I was playing Civilization Two, and by the way, <laughs> this is radio. Like this is this is very solitary work and life experience yeah. that gets you into this very you know a niche little world. So I wish I could say that. Oh man, I was like at a party surrounded by friends. We were listening to the radio, and I'm like, <laughs> man, this is so freaking cool. Like, no, that's not how radio works. I was alone for a summer. I was playing Civilization Two, and there was this new radio station called 87.7 The End, mm -hmm. long time ago. And uh, the commercial came on saying, hey, we're looking for interns. And I just kind of processed that. I continued playing Civilization very poorly. I do not have the foresight to actually rule the world at any point in time. And then uh, later on during the school year, I decided to see what that internship was all about. And that's how it all kicked off. Right after I finally had my own driver's license, a little piece of independence, and I was like, I'm going to go to the audio circus and see what that's all about. So what was that like, that audio circus? It was, it, it was cool. It really was. I went, um, the radio station was right down the street from my school, Polaris K-12, shout out. And um, so I, uh, I was able to go to the radio station and I was seeing, you know, like, because how do you know how to start a job when you're 17 years old? What do you do? Well, you ask the most awkward way possible. And I showed up and I said, can I have a t-shirt? And they said, no, <laughs> apparently they just don't give out these kinds of things. And then I, you know, I was like, Hey, I heard about an internship or something. And, um, I was basically the only one that showed up and this was months after I'd even heard the commercial. I was just out of the blue, but I was able to get school credit for it. And so they were like, fine. Um, you can show up once a week, for three hours and then burn CDs for the time that you're here. And from there, you just wait around like so many other things in this, like so many other things uh, that if you're just there, mm -hmm. eventually something will wind up happening. And I wound up getting the honor of have a live DJ shift from midnight to 6 a.m. Oh, how lucky I was <laughs> to be bestowed this honor for no money to sit around an empty radio station for six hours a day in the middle of the night and just be god awful on the radio because no one's really going to train you. You know, you're, you're just supposed to kind of know it or listen to somebody else to kind of like do your own impression of what you think radio is well what did you sound like back then i i basically wow good question i was lost i would try to overthink i f overthought everything so i would say rage against the machine at 87.7 the alternative rock coming up we have uh, the flies no no okay wait uh, no, no, Rage Against the Machine, The Flies, we have Chevelle, 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 the end. 
boom. And then, you know, you try to click a song and someone's hearing you in the background, you know, clicking, clicking yeah. away at empty things. And the thing about 87.7, the end, was it was a TV frequency. It wasn't even a FCC stamp of approval radio signal. It was it was on Channel 5 back in 1999-2000. And it would be able to simul... This TV frequency would simulcast on 87.7 on the FM. So if you had an old-school TV, if you didn't have a new one, if you just turned it to Channel 5 you would see the webcam or the you know the the studio camera that we had yeah. there in the studio so you got to see a dj um live and it turns out those first couple of nights my friends gave me so much hell at least somebody was calling and listening and it was my friends and they would call <laughs> and basically just say anything a 17 year old would say you suck and it would <laughs> shake me to my core cody I was destroyed by this stranger on the radio. And then I would like physically freak out because I could not handle that kind of, I'm a sensitive man. You know, I'm an artist. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 17 years old. It's 2 a.m. What do you want from me? <laughs> and I'd be so shaken up and flustered and they're watching it on TV at home and just having a, the time of their lives. So, of course, they continue to, to call back. And I did that for... A couple of years and I mean I was terrible on the radio for quite a while where I was lucky enough to just kind of fail in the job mm -hmm. but you know there was no money exchanging hands there was nobody else banging down the door to be on a radio station that was technically a TV station and work from midnight to 6 a.m. on a Friday night that is prime going out and doing things time not for ye old matt collins i had a radio <laughs> show to do i had responsibilities if i wasn't gonna play collective soul who was <laughs> so you talked about the the pretense you know as far as the longer that you're on the radio the the more that that pretense falls away did you have a moment where uh or maybe like a you know, a period of time where you just started like warming up to the mic. It, yeah, it was over a period of years and it's mostly just learning to be yourself. And that's super hard to do in a room, in a, in a studio, mm -hmm. you know, alone, staring at a screen, talking about a song that you've played a thousand times. Um, and it, it's the same with everything. Like whenever I try to do social media stuff, like on video, um, and try to communicate to my phone, uh, about what I'm trying to do, it's incredibly hard to just be yourself. I mean, that's, that, that's what the key to so much of this stuff is, uh, you know, the successful vloggers and, etc etc is just be able to chill the f out and stare mm -hmm. at your phone and not feel like a complete idiot the entire time and all of that that just took time for me talking into a radio microphone and to just know that whoever i am 
and whoever I'm presenting myself as is just, is just myself just has to be okay. And after the years went by, I got pretty good about just being myself, as I keep on saying. And I decided that at that moment that, hey, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. I'm super lucky to be in this position where I can hang out, not have to have a dress code, not have to clock in at times that are a pain in the ass. I, I'm going to set the goal to not be a millionaire, not be rich, not be famous, but to be able to live my life, to pay a few bills just by being myself. And all these years later, somehow I am still accomplishing it, even with all of the insanity that's happening with an industry that, I mean, a lot of people probably think shouldn't even exist anymore, but it's uh, somehow still around, like a, like a print journalist or you know a newspaper <laughs> yeah we're still out there we're still clinging to it we're still here we're still here how do you think radio is different in a place like alaska in 2021 than it is in other places you can still be fat and ugly and do it here <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome like i'm i'm whenever i peruse tiktok uh or whatever the hot social media is at the time for other DJs around town. It's like, oh my God, who is this 23-year-old model <laughs> doing radio? Back in the day, I went to a conference in New Orleans uh, for radio, and I'm walking around. It's like, man, people have hair. They look cool. <laughs> They're young and vibrant and smiling. Who are these people? This is not supposed to be for the good looking people. But as things have, you know, changed, I mean, there's, there, everyone is basically welcome, but, um, you know, why would you want to show up? And, uh, so yeah, you, you can still, you can still, there's kind of like still an old school radio feel here. And now that COVID is around, um, that's changed the landscape of radio quite a bit because you know, things get kind of like scaled down. The productions aren't quite as big. Radio, for a long time, uh, when it works well, it's about being out there in the community. You know, it's about getting your face seen. It's about being at events. And without events, where are you going to set up your tent? You know, where can you get in front of eyes? You know, we already have the ears. How do we get people to look at you and pay attention to the brand? And without being around people, how does that, you know, how is that affecting things even more? And so mm -hmm. now it's gone out to being um, influencers. Is that is that how the, the term is now? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right? They're like, yeah, make a YouTube video. See what happens. Go ahead and vlog. Do you know? Get out there. Social media it up. And um, so you're encouraged to to try all that stuff out to see where oh, it yeah. leads to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all, you know, Facebook is such a big part of radio. And I think that for a long time, radio always tries to be something that it's not back in the early, like the mid two thousands radio was trying to be television. Mm. So, uh, you know, they were like, okay, here's what TV does. They talk about what's coming up next. They give you exact times for everything that's coming on. You know, we have 
The Simpsons on at six. We have Survivor at seven. Tune in for these events. It's all about event viewing. Then after that, blogs were taken off. So like, we want you to blog. We want this to be kind of a uh, world WordPress geo cities feel. And then from there on out. Now, it's in a perfect world for radio, we would be BuzzFeed basically, but on a, a radio type budget, where it's you know it's about content aggregation. It's about content creation. Okay. Which is weird because so many of us don't have that experience in it, but we have lots of experience in presenting things. So we try to, you know, uh, change those to match our skill set. Were you ever afraid that you would say something that was potentially going to get you kicked off the radio? I have. Yeah. Um, I have so the first time that I worked over at the Fox, which was one one hundred point five, still out there, you know, great station. Mm -hmm. And I started working there after my high school radio gig um, finished up, and I got a gig over at um, you know over at the Fox. And so the first time they let me crack the mic, I was like one hundred point five, the Fox. This is the oh shit. And then I remember I heard myself say, oh, shit. And then in the microphone, I said, fuck. <laughs> I said, fuck to the reaction of saying shit over the radio. And you know what, Cody? I mean, they were just cool with it. It's so it's so ridiculous how incredibly lucky and privileged I have been in this career. And you know what? I think that they would do that for just about anybody. My boss was just like, hey, man, I heard that. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know the, the the world just keeps spinning. Um, because you always got you get you're gonna get them on the next one. How long do people actually listen to the radio for? How many seconds? I didn't get any calls about it. You know, I don't think anyone got any emails. Maybe it was just one of those weird things where next to nobody heard it. Maybe it was the double swearing that made it funny enough to the person who heard it to not get offended. <laughs> it was so obvious that I was so over my head and such an idiot that maybe people were like, ah. <laughs> "What Mondays, am I right? LOL. <laughs> and that's how you get in trouble, right, for cussing on the radio is other people hear about it and then they report it. Yes. Yeah. It's only, yeah, people will, if, if someone complains, then it's a problem. And if I was swearing about a sponsor, well, then that's probably how you get fired. Okay. As if you're, you're messing with the station's money. Now, I'm not, certainly not saying to anybody to go out there and, you know, start swearing up a storm. I um, <laughs> was listening to the college radio station once, and uh, there was this cute moment where if you listen to enough radio, you know, maybe you find moments like this. And the DJ was playing, um, oh man, what? who's that young lady from the Moldy Peaches? Uh, young lady, I, God, I sound like 50. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Moldy Peaches. She's a singer, songwriter. She even played Kimya Dawson. So this DJ on the college radio station was playing Kimya Dawson. The year was like 2002, you know, some wistful year. And... He was really proud of playing this song. It was like noon 
and then like the third verse hit and that's the Kim Dawson laying into George W. Bush first. She's saying, we're all going to say fuck Bush. And then I could hear through the radio that this kid was like, oh, no, I forgot the fuck Bush verse. And so I heard him like manually turning down the radio as she just like lays into George W. Bush in a time that is completely appropriate <laughs> to lay into him. Um, but you get those moments, you know, yeah, in yeah. radio every once in a while, and they're just absolutely precious. A coworker accidentally leaving a mic on, which has happened a million and a half times, yeah. and just getting so mad at themselves they can't, you know, get the words together for a break. Just screaming over the adult contemporary station, <laughs> like the Jeff, fuck you, you fucking fuck. <laughs> It's amazing that the rule of thumb in radio is that everybody swears all the time until they crack the mic. That is maybe just a point of pride for radio people to where I am such a professional that I will swear between any other word in my everyday life. But as soon as that microphone goes on, never, never even a peep of a shit or a fuck or anything like that. But they do slip through every once in a while. I feel like that's very similar to journalists. So if you're writing an mm -hmm. article or uh, I guess in my case, like producing like a very journalistic podcast, then I think that the swearing can kind of detract from that. But once the mic's off, you know, I let the expletives fly. Absolutely. Because you're gritty, man. You're in the streets. You're doing it. You know, you know what I mean? That like yeah, radio yeah. people like to think we're a bit, little bit rock and roll too. Cause man, we're, you know, we come from a long line of like shock jocks and stern, man. And we're like pushing <laughs> the envelope on so much of this shit. And you look back years later, you're like, man, that was so stupid and pointless. There was, uh, you know, there was a time where we had a, a stunt show on the morning show that I was working on. You know, I brought in this friend of mine and on Mondays we would do challenges. It was, it was the years of jackass. What can I say? You know, radio definitely follows trends. So, you know, all those YouTube videos from when you were in high school of you and your dumbass friends crashing shopping carts together, just being <laughs> obnoxious and shit like that. We were doing that on the radio for people who could not even see it. And. <laughs> And really putting ourselves in uh, odd predicaments and situations and danger when we could have made the entire thing up. Yeah. But we didn't. <laughs> we we went there. We went that extra mile because, you know, that's just where radio was at the time. You yeah. Get, you get right away with that. So the other day when I asked if you had any crazy stories from being on the radio you responded with something I haven't been able to get out of my mind. <laughs> you said you saw a dude staple his nuts to a tree for Dane Cook tickets. For Dane Cook tickets. <laughs> he did it. He flipping did it. I mean, he, the staple didn't go through the testicle into the tree. He like, he yanked it down a little bit. So you get the, you know, he, it was just the skin, but it was attached, dude. You know, like, I've seen people legitimately pepper sprayed. I, um, I think the most wild one, um, and I, you know, I, I looking back, I, uh, I don't feel, I feel a little, how do I feel about it? 
it all sounds so dorky and broy, and that's because it was. Uh, you know, for wrestling tickets, once we would have people come in, and it was like SmackDown for SmackDown tickets, and we weren't we were hitting people with steak, with raw meat inside of the studio. Where were you hitting them? Like. <sighs> I mean, I wasn't hitting them necessarily all the time, but like myself, I will admit this. I tomahawked a woman's breasts with steak in a studio. <laughs> okay. Why, Cody? <laughs> Why? It was radio. We could just slap our It's hands that Howard like Stern that. influence. It, it, that's exactly what it was. And I wasn't, you know, yeah, yeah. And the people that would come into a radio station at 7.15 a.m. to <laughs> to lower their tank top in order for me to, like, over the head smack their boobs with a, oh, man, with, like, a, no, it wasn't a T-bone. Um, a, 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 well, dang, I really lost the thread there. Anyways, to over the head chop with, with a steak. I mean, it's just wild. Because it's not like, <sighs> not going to get the cream of the crop in at 7.15 to get hit with raw meat, right? You know, you're going gonna to meet some really interesting people. <laughs> it's, it's gritty once again. And so, like the craziest thing, um, I once got a guy at New Sagaya to give me 16 lobsters. And I walked out of there with 16 lobsters that I didn't pay for. I didn't steal them. I just went in there when they were open. It's like, hey, man, we're doing this, you know, show. Can I have some lobsters? And he was a fan enough of the show to where he forked them over. And so we took those lobsters and then we put our stunt guy in a body bag and we put the lobsters in there with him. And, um, and then we just let, you know, nature take its course, just man, body bag, lobster. And you know what that was, you know what that was for Cody? What? Nothing. <laughs> it's just for the radio <laughs> that no one can radio. see. Yeah. And then we tried to give the lobsters back. <laughs> this poor guy who worked at Noosa Gaia, I mean, he had to have been fired that day because we had to fork over a $300 check for all of the lobsters that oh we tried gosh. to return. Have you found that people are less willing to do crazy stunts like that or be a part of crazy stunts like that as like time has gone on? And the reason I asked that question is because when I was growing up in the snowboard and skateboard world, we would throw stickers out at a, at a competition and people would lose their minds. They would fight over the stickers. They would, you know, like scratch each other, punch each other. It would be a fight. Nowadays, I've been to competitions and you can't even give away a pair of like Oakley goggles. Right. Right. Because people are, you know, over it. They're, um, they're too good for swag. Maybe the consumer is so knowledgeable of what things are going on. They're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to give you my email address. You know, back in 2000 and five or four we didn't have email blasts or we didn't there wasn't a whole lot of spam email out there we were just like here are tickets here take them no strings attached no yeah. annoying paperwork to do i mean 
Cody, you know what? Like back in the day, man, you know, people will do anything for a t-shirt. They really would. Any kind of t-shirt. It doesn't have to be a t-shirt of a radio station. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, it could say Corona on it. And they're like, <laughs> yes, give me that Corona light t-shirt. And recently, eh, you know, people don't really, we don't really do that stuff because it, you know, a wild thing about being in the industry for as long as I have, I've grown up too, you know, mm -hmm. like all of us are now, we were doing that 16 years ago. Well, all of us are now 16 years older and it's, it gets, it's not a super great look to put a dude in an Alaskan body bag with a bunch of live lobsters to begin with. <laughs> It sure as hell isn't a great look to do that when you're 45. <laughs> you know, you need to evolve with the times a little bit. And uh, one thing that if you want to, like, get people going wild, give away chapstick. Chapstick? People go ape shit for it. I have not seen a response like that where sometimes we, um, we got, like, this big old bucket of, you know, K-Whale chapstick. And I got to go to a movie theater for like the debut of Transformers or something like that. And being in radio, a lot of your side gigs are hosting trivia, hosting things at bars, you know, being like the party creator at um, in an adult establishment, like a place that serves liquor or something like that. Basically, mm -hmm. the job of like a team of hot chicks, you know, back in the day, you're trying to sell shots, you're trying to get the party going so people get liquored up. And never in my entire life of trying to give away raffle tickets, Corona t-shirts, even $500 have I seen people go as nuts than I have for chapstick. I would go down the line. Would you like a chapstick? Yes. Every single time. <laughs> if you walk up to a hundred people and go, Hey, I have a chance for you to win $300 tonight. All you have to do is give me your name and address on this entry form. You know, 98 of them will tell you to fuck off, but every single one of them wants a chapstick. You know, I wonder if it has to do, I, so I keep thinking about like LimeWire, right? Like, so when we were sure. growing up, we have LimeWire and Napster and it just, like, it, it just, it just ruined Every your time. computer. Every single time. And, it, and you mm -hmm. never got what you wanted, right? Yep. And so that's like what we were conditioned with. We're like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get this song and it's never the song. But now, you know kids and people won't even do something for a t-shirt but maybe that the reason that they will for a piece of chapstick or not a piece of chapstick but a, a stick of chapstick is because they understand the stakes aren't that high you know it's like oh this yeah. is just a this is just chapstick you know this is a dollar this person's giving me a dollar rather than like i'm illegally downloading this eminem album two weeks before it's supposed to come out like the stakes are a little bit higher you know especially in 2004 yeah, exactly. Well, and who buys chapstick? You know, like <laughs> these days, it, I could have my dream t-shirt. I could design it in my head. I can have it say whatever I want, and I could get that thing printed for like $20. But the last time I bought a chapstick was well over two years ago, and maybe I've used it four times during like those couple of weeks in february where i am just absolutely dying and then i reach into my glove compartment and oh my god my k well chapstick is here god bless you i have enough big dog t-shirts i don't have enough chapstick 
I am a big chapstick user. I buy chapstick constantly. Oh, and good I for use you. chapstick constantly. So I guess I um I'm kind of the opposite, but my friend told me at one point he said that the reason you you, you the reason you use so much chapstick and the reason you buy it is because you're constantly using it. And it sounds kind of like we like weird like duh, but he said that he stopped using chapstick and he hasn't needed it since. I heard that back in like the Burt's Balms, you know. Oh, really? Days. Okay. Yeah, those uh, the little cups, you know, those little yeah. cups of Burt's Balms. I don't know if you know people still use that, but those were all over the place back when I was in, you know, high school and college age. Um, but you know what? Like, hey, bless you, man, for buying chapstick. And if you just need to feed the machine, eh. Is it, you know, maybe it's Diet Coke, maybe it's chapstick, uh, you know, maybe it's like a, a craft beer a night, but you know, whatever gets you through, man. And that's what like, back to radio somehow, it's like, yeah, that's kind of like what radio's place is. It's uh, white noise, it can be a comfort blanket, it can just kind of fill in the gaps of your day-to-day -day life, uh, much like chapstick fills in the cracks of your lips. That was kind of a long walk, but I was there with you. I got there somehow. Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done longer walks on the radio vocally for sure. Do you feel like there was a uh, a golden age of Alaska radio? Oh man, I mean, obviously it was when I was doing morning show for me. I don't, I don't know for everybody else, uh, but for me, it was probably around you know, those 2000s when we were just doing really irresponsible stuff. They could, um, you know, the stunts. Because we had like a TV show for a, a, a short while that nobody watched because it's weird and local. And it was on Channel 4 uh, Saturdays at midnight, you know, not really prime watching time, but you know, we had a we we had a little production team. We were like a little tight knit, um, you know, dysfunctional family back in the mid two thousands at KWL. It was uh, Bob and Mark, and then we had this guy Tito um, who would come in on Mondays and film the uh, the stunts with our stunt kid Kid Chaos, and it was just like a weird little dysfunctional circus that we were playing our own. Um, you know, Howard Stern, basically, mm -hmm. and uh, doing it for very little money, but it was it was going down. Was it the Bob and Mark show that that person cut off their pinky for Aerosmith tickets, or am I remembering that incorrectly? I don't know, because okay. I, I wasn't there, and there was another era that was even wilder. You know, a, a thing that I've noticed about radio is that it's always that first episode of The Sopranos. Anyone you talk to says, oh, man, back in the day, that's how it was supposed to be done. Nowadays, this sucks. But back then, and so I was experiencing that back in the year 2000. Oh, man, you should have been around in the 80s. And then a couple of years later, oh, man. This is cool, but the 1990s, that was buck wild. Yeah, yeah. And, and then here I am, you know, going on about 2004, dude. <laughs> it was wild. It reminds me of 
that movie Midnight in Paris. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but sure. they it, it's all about nostalgia. And there's yeah. a character in there. He's kind of like this this douchebag like professor who's just such a great character. But um, he calls it golden age thinking. You know, every <clears throat> generation wishes they were a part of previous generations, but we only really understand those generations like through the lens of their golden age, like mm-hmm. they're you know through those rose rose colored lenses. Hell yeah. No, I can completely understand that. And especially just working in an industry where everyone has been around for so long. Like, yeah. I mean, my favorite period of radio right now for me is right now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I really try not to be a person that's, um, that my best is in the past. Just it, what I'm doing right now, I feel like is the best work I've ever done. It's the most mature work I have ever done. I don't need to hit anybody with raw meat to be be able to do it. You know, you know what I mean. I'm For using, sure, yeah. I'm using my wit. I don't have to do this weird, gross stuff. And I can't. I can't with COVID anyway. If, even if I wanted to, but you couldn't I can't. hit people with meat during COVID. Mm-mm, no way, man. You you could t- throw meat at them, maybe. But where's the you know, put that on TikTok? Let's see how that goes. Throw the meat challenge. I don't know. Maybe it would work. Maybe I'll do that on Monday, and maybe it'll blow up, and my bosses will be happy with me. But Alaska used to be and still is a super wild place. So when you hang out with people that have been in the industry, with a few of them, is I've seen some dudes that have been in radio for 40 years, and they're telling me stories about doing coke in P- with NPJs back in you know the 1970s and knocking over a motorcycle and having to run away from the Hells Angels. How real any of that is, I have no clue. Or doing coke in the cattle company back in the 1980s. I mean, for some reason, all these stories have to deal with coke, but... Uh, but but still coke and meat coke and them exactly and meat yeah 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 a uh, london broil that was the name of the cut of meat i couldn't think of earlier and just radio has changed in those times where before the 1990s uh a lot of the responsibility for the show laid on it was on the shoulders of a DJ. Mm-hmm. So they got to pick their music. Their own personal style is what kind of drove their show. And then in the 1990s, Bill Clinton signed something or other to where you could create huge media conglomerates. And so Clear Channel bought up like thousands of radio stations. And so all of them becoming a chain or being owned by one entity kind of you know everyone decided like okay here here is what radio sounds like now you sound like this you sound like this and so that changed things quite a bit but it didn't you know it, it, it there were still little personalities here and there and then it's just kind of evolved from there into nowadays radio is just trying to be all things it's trying to be you know blogs it's trying to be content creation it's trying to be brand ambassadors etc 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 do you know how radio stations look at podcasts do they see them as a threat or do they see them as like an ally that they can just kind of co-opt and do their own podcast or what it's you know what it's kind of the co-opting thing honestly it took them forever to see the monetary value in podcasts and now 
you know, all the shows do it. Um, at least any show that is talk oriented, you know, I, I'm just talking in between songs. So, uh, no one's podcasting me, but from there, like all of the morning shows or, um, you know, radio talk shows in the afternoon, they now have podcasts where you can, you know, download the MP3. Well, you know how podcasts work, but it took them forever to do that. That's just be recently been like maybe the past five years hmm. when the podcasting boom was eight years ago, you know, whenever it was. And now radio stations are creating their own podcasts or some of the radio conglomerates have finally decided to distribute some podcasts and they're you know looking for what everybody else is sponsors mm -hmm. so if you have you know a bunch of sponsors that you want to sign over to the radio station they will promote your podcast but why would you want to do that if you yourself have already collected all of these checks from your sponsors and you're already getting paid for your podcast yeah why am i handing over the money to you so therein lies this weird, you know, dilemma to where I don't want to create a hot, popular podcast for you because I don't get much out of it. You know, my job here is to, you know, um, promote the radio station and do what I can there. Now, thankfully for me, I have no popular podcasts at all. So, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm not losing any money out of the deal. Why do you think it took them so long to jump on board with podcasts because they didn't figure out a way to make money off of it okay and I, I think for a lot of companies it is hard to make money off of podcasts i think that so much of it still is a work of passion and you know even some of like the most popular innovative podcasts you know they don't make that much money maybe some of the most popular ones you're more paying for um you know, the personality behind it. Like Mark Marin obviously makes a bunch of money off of WTF, mm -hmm. but that money isn't easily transferred to any bosses because all the money's just going to him. He's like, I'm Mark Marin, uh, hit me up on Patreon or however, you know, buy the t-shirt, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so many of those ways to make podcast money uh, radio hasn't, you know, gotten in on because they have to then like design a t-shirt. They have to have the popular, you know, podcast to get the t-shirt, to get the Patreon, et cetera, et cetera. Where the still the radio model is get sponsors, play commercials. And that's just, you know, a little, it plays a little different in podcast land. We'll see how things go in the future because more companies are willing to give money to podcasts as they should, because it, it works. You know, I've bought products that I've heard talked about on, I have a Casper mattress, damn it. You know, works. <laughs> do you really? Yeah. I love okay. it. I love it. <laughs> you know, one thing about someone like Mark Maron, since you brought him up is that he's been around for a long time. And I kind of have this theory, um, that longevity kind of breed success if done correctly right so he has accrued a following you know amassed this this following because he's been around for so long in you know as a radio personality now eventually he created wtf and he brought all of those people with him right so 
it's a little different to just kind of throw someone on the radio and expect like, Hey, like have a personality, like do this thing and have people like listen. And you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's a little different. I think. Sure. I think life experience helps a lot in radio and any kind of personality, you know, kind of endeavor, right? Like if I'm going to read something from like Jared Meyer, you know, you've had him on the show. That mm-hmm. is a dude that has personality because he's been around for a while. He has lived a life. I want yeah. to read the words that are coming out of his head. I want to hear his ideas instead of somebody that's fresh faced, that's 21 years old, that hasn't had a, a problem or a complex thought in their life. Well, there's nothing mm-hmm. there for me to attach to. You know, I, there's. There's no connection in that way. The connection comes from shared experiences, from, you know, thinking about things like, oh, you know what? I never thought about it that way before, or I have thought about that, you know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're on the same playing field. You know, I think a a life experience helps out a lot. And when Mark Marin started WTF, I mean, he had been a failed comedian for a long time. And by failed comedian, I mean, he he had been on Conan O'Brien before he had the goatee and the mustache. You know, he had hung out with Sam Kinison back in the 80s. He had had some successes, but I think he'd be the first one to tell you that he didn't reach those heights that he had wanted to, that he was kind of bitter in his own way. And so he brought that to a show and that really resonated with people. And now, I mean, the guy's extremely successful and i think a lot of people in radio and in this town they've lived a life there's vietnam vietnam vets that i've worked with there's people that have lived in anchorage alaska for their entire lives there's transplants there's people that have left anchorage come back left come back again you know there's definitely a depth to it Mm -hmm. you know what's interesting is that when you look at a successful person, it is rarely within the the thing that they originally started out pursuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that success, it has to come with, from within. I am never going to be a millionaire. I am never going to have a million followers on anything, but I am successful. I believe it in my heart. I don't try to, I'm not trying to sound all braggy about it or whatever. I'm just trying to say that I get paid a little bit of money for being myself. And that was a goal that I had set for myself. I pay some bills somehow, some way being in this little pocket of show business in Anchorage, Alaska, that has to come from with me, within me. Cause I can always, and I, I mean, I, I do. I'm human like anybody else. I yearn for other things. Oh, what if I had more <laughs> success? Oh, what if I had moved to Portland? Maybe things would be, you know, it, you can just go down this huge rabbit hole that way. But if I look at the things that I have, um, you know, I'm rich, man. Charlie, you know, is uh, what? As Charlie says, man, I got all the money in the world, Jack. You know, I got it. Charles Manson, he was he had something going on. Got all the money in the world. I deal the cards. Have you found that being on the radio has made you more honest? No, I think that radio uh, that stand up has 
that I um you know I I feel like that's the a quick way to a laugh or something even if it's maybe uncomfortable or whatever it's like if I can just cut through the song and dance and just like get to the truth of something be open with something then I feel like that gets more of a response from people hopefully good fingers crossed we'll we'll find out when you release this episode (laughs) (laughs) see how many people listen to it hey i'll be honored if 15 i'm going for that collins 15 boost let's get it for you cody (laughs) so you brought up comedy let's talk about comedy for a bit happily what was your introduction to comedy just like in my everyday life or my or when i started doing it the stage I think the stage and when you started kind of like yearning to be on that stage and to do stand up. I I've I've been performing for a very long time and I'm not exactly sure when it started. My dad was in local plays and so maybe like seeing him in the Fantastics maybe spurring something in me. I was in a little song and dance troupe when I was a little kid, the Sunshine Generation. And we did like, if they could see me now, that little gang of mine, I'm eating mm-hmm. fancy chow and drinking fancy wine. And then after that, I started with uh, Alaska Theater of Youth, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, 13 or something like that. And I really responded to that. I really liked being in plays and being around theater and then after that i was in bands so i was a drummer from 18 to 26 and then from 26 on i did stand-up comedy and all of that the one one thing that's been the through line is that it is live performance is that there is a stage involved and there's just an energy with that and maybe it's because you know that they're watching <laughs> that gives you that extra shot. I know someone's paying attention to me that uh, that gives you that little extra thrill. So what's it been like being a comedian in Alaska? It's been great. It's been an awesome hobby. I really enjoy it. And I've gotten to meet, I've gotten to meet really cool people and... <laughs> from all around the world it's it's crazy to be in alaska a place that's a destination for so many people pre-covid obviously mm-hmm. that come by and a, a thing with open mic comedians is if you go on a vacation or something you go to new town hey what's the open mic situation here because comedy is this really cool thing to where anywhere you go it's a little bit it's different but it's also a lot the same (laughs) it's it's interesting it's hard to explain but if you went to an open mic here in anchorage alaska and you went to an open mic in um somewhere in maine you know it would be different but also be really similar and if you are in that scene it's really cool to be like okay that person is our equivalent of blank and blank and blank and you can kind of like fall into a rhythm pretty easily so i've met opera singers that were here performing and they're like i wanted to do stand-up comedy i've gotten to see people that are really accomplished comics that just came through you know working uh for like uh princess tours or something like that for a summer Mm -hmm. and i got to see them perform and you get to have like this 
kind of social shorthand with them. We're like, we both do stand-up comedy. We each saw our, each other's sets. We know that neither one of us suck really bad, so we can actually have a conversation. And you can kind of make a friendship um, without that kind of awkward first part of, you know, feeling each other out. Because I just saw you on stage. I know so much about you now. I know more about you that would be possibly okay to know, like at a party. Yeah. If I knew everything that, you know, in a five-minute comedy set in the first five minutes of meeting you, I think you'd be insane if you just told me that in a party. <laughs> but in the stand-up comedy sense, it's great. Yeah, you have to bare your soul. You don't have to, but it helps. Where do you think your comedy comes from? Does it come from, like, mental anguish? That's That's kind of a a common theme with comedians or is it just general joy in comedy? Um, I would say that, I mean, it's changed, you know, quite a bit for me. And I think the crutch, the crux used to be my comedy a lot. Yeah. It was about like super, you know, I was like down on myself. I was making pretty good jokes about it, but it's always been about my life mm -hmm. and whether I felt good about it or whether I felt bad about it. And, that's just kind of like the evolution. And the more, the older I get, the more I'm enjoying my life more, the crazier everything outside of my life has been. And there's a way to like think about that too, where um, that's just kind of where my comedy come from, comes from, is who I am as a person and how I deal with the world around me. And it, I used to be kind of a hot mess. And I think a lot of good comics you can get a lot of really funny jokes if you can't handle life. You know, if you are just a complete mess, you're a pretty hilarious person at a bar at 10 p.m. Um, can you, uh, you know, can you carry that on when you're a little more well-adjusted? Absolutely, you can. I just wish I could practice it more often because now with COVID, things are kind of uh, at a, on a standstill. What were those things back then that made you down in yourself? Mm. Um, so I was like, man, I was a basement dweller, dude. You know, like I was with my parents until I was 26 years old. So like, there's a whole, you know, half hour of material right there. Mm -hmm. You know, it just took 26 years to get it. But I was like very much intimidated by the world. So I've been here in, you know, Anchorage, Alaska for a super long time, lived with my parents for a long time. And just how I, you know, kind of saw myself as someone who wasn't accomplishing anything. And so I would kind of like mine, you know, that. And you know what, like, honestly, talking about that stuff and doing stand up helped me deal with that. Because I didn't have anybody to talk to about that kind of thing. You know, I felt like alone and isolated and I didn't use stand up as therapy, but you know what? It sure as hell didn't hurt, mm -hmm. you know, to hear the, to actually think about yourself and to take pen to paper and to really like dive in about your feelings and why do you feel this way? Why do you think you're doing that stuff? A lot of that is like, that, that takes, that, that therapy is a part of that, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's all about looking at yourself. It's going inward and doing that for a few years 
actually helped me with a lot of points in my life. And I think that saying things out loud really helps to understand them better. If they are this, um, say it's something scary that's just in the back of your mind, like, oh, this could happen. You know, I could, I could get in a car accident or whatever. But if you say it out loud, you're like, that's a little absurd. You know, mm-hmm. it, you actually breathe life into it. Yeah, you let those words hang in front of you, and eventually you're like, oh, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. You know, paying car insurance isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Going to the DMV, you know what, man? Ain't a big of a deal. Taking a trip by yourself isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you take those fears. Maybe, like, when you were younger, things that would actually hold you back from taking a trip by yourself. Like, okay. Why am I nervous about taking this trip? Then you isolate that. Maybe you're able to turn it into a joke. Maybe you're able to turn it into a story or a tidbit that somebody in the audience can relate to. One thing that I like to say, and millions of people have said, I have not come up with this, but laughter is acknowledgement of the truth. Mm -hmm. And so someone can hopefully, you know, respond to that, whether it's, a laughter of truth, whether it's a laughter of being uncomfortable, not usually what I'm going for, but you know, it happens. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and I think that that gets back to what you were saying earlier about experience, right? So the person who has more experience usually has more to uh, imbue and convey to their fellow person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've, been through it you've been able to think about it and you know how you would deal with it differently in the future anytime you tell somebody a story you can use all three of those you know ways of thinking and you know imbue it into the story maybe make it something really cool Mm -hmm. or maybe not maybe you just fall on your face on stage and in front of a Maybe you just fail in the back, in the bed of a pickup truck in a parking lot at a drive-in comedy show and nobody (laughs) honks their horn. Who knows? So I think that, and this is coming from personal experience, that we learn more from our failures than than we do our successes. But first off, do you believe in that? And if you do believe in it, what is a failure that comes to mind that you have learned from? Hmm. I, I, yeah, I put credence in that. I also think that you can, you know, learn from your, um, from your successes as well, that when you put your mind to something and you accomplish it, like, don't get a big head about it or anything, but just like, remember that in the back of your head, like I was able to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. I was able to produce that comedy album or put out that magazine. Like I was able to do that and hopefully that'll carry you through a little bit too. But I mean, failures are an absolute success or I'm sorry. Well, failures can, um, are huge teachable moments. And in the world of comedy, like I remember one time I, um, I was at Rum Runners back in the day. We used to do open mic there when I was just starting out. And once again, much like radio, I was terrible for a very long time. And I'm probably still not great now, but I'm still learning. But I was able to fail in front of people. And I was confident enough to continue to suck in front of people and that not stop me. That's also (laughs) a big part of it too. 
So I was up on stage, and I was just eating dick. You know, I was just being <laughs> terrible. We were out in like the main room of Rum Runners. No one wanted to be there. There was like eleven people at the bar that just wanted the drink. They didn't want to hear people that have been doing stand-up for three months tell their terrible jokes about living in a basement. But here we were, and I had a heckler. And thing with my radio experience and just talking in general, you know, um, I I'm pretty good on my feet on stage, mm-hmm. and I started like laying into this dude, and then the woman that he was with, um, you know, said something as well, maybe to him, maybe to me, I don't remember. It was you know all in the heat of the moment, and then I laid into her too, and then after my set, eh, she didn't really like that all that much, and she came over to me and she you know was she said, I told him to be quiet. I just want you to know you're not funny. And then she left. And that's something that stuck with me forever. I was like, okay, all right. Try not to be an asshole on stage. You know, don't try to be that guy who shuts down a heckler by, you know, brute vocal force. You know, try to put a little English on it if you want somebody to stop talking. Mm -hmm. Or know the situation to where maybe you're just in a bad area to be doing stand-up comedy right now and just let it go (laughs) you know you like your life will be better for it in the long run and you won't be haunted by an angry um you know person in the uh, in the bar excuse me and you're working on a documentary right now about the comedy scene in alaska Mm -hmm. yeah how's that going it's going well. Uh, I'm just waiting for an ending. <laughs> With COVID happening, it really changed a lot of things. We had a um, Cass Smiley, who you should definitely have on the podcast sometime. She's absolutely fantastic. Okay. She put on our uh, a comedy festival last year, and it went super well. We had comics from all around the country, you know, come perform here in Alaska. And so she was going to do it again. And so... My original goal with the documentary was we're going to document the process of making an independent comedy festival. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened and canceled the festival, canceled live comedy in general. Um, Now there's still, you know, uh, the parking lot shows and stuff that are, you know, really cool, but it canceled any kind of like in-person live performance for comedy or anything else for that matter. And so I'm kind of like changing the documentary right now to kind of fit that narrative to show that. And it'll mostly be about the family of comedians that are here. You know, it's just a snapshot of what being a stand-up comedian in Anchorage, Alaska is and what it's like. And what do you think that those, those stories look like? They look, they look like any other small town stand-up scene. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of other people have made stand-up comedy documentaries about their little town and their experience doing comedy in a very small scene. But I think if more people did, you would see a lot of similarities. And that's a really cool thing about stand-up is that it's just like it, it it brings people together 
even if they're not like even if they're only the comics themselves mm -hmm. you know we see that web of like okay things are similar around town and it's just it makes the world larger and smaller at the same time can you tell me a story about another comic in alaska that always brings like a smile to your face oh golly um you know what okay all right i will uh i'll take this time to bestow the virtues of matt Pergoon, another person that you should have on the podcast he's okay. definitely a fantastic follow on twitter he is a like socialist dsa kind of dude on twitter and he's absolutely hilarious i've heard it described as like the dirt bag left or something like that he has this <laughs> attitude where it's all about Bernie Sanders and socialism, but also kind of this aesthetic of like picking a cigarette up off the ground and not changing your pants for two weeks. I, I know that he's a very clean person. I'm not, you know, I know that's a weird way to describe it, but that's just kind of the aesthetic that I get from him on Twitter. And he has, does stand up comedy and he's been doing it for years with us. And he's really funny and he's this kind of person to where a lot of it rolls off his back, where if you're making fun of him. One of my favorite things in comedy is making fun of my friends mercilessly. <laughs> Them doing the same to me. It's uh, It feels really good. And you can say anything you want to him, and it just rolls off his back. And we've been giving him a lot of shit right now about his uh, ghost hotels joke where he has this really long joke about the ghost tours here in Alaska. And every time he tells it, another 30 seconds to this kind of not funny joke is added. And now I think he's up to like 10 minutes talking about the 4th Avenue Theater and the ghost tours and <laughs> staying in a hotel here in Alaska uh, that ghosts are there, but really it's probably just old people. And it gets, it's so long and sometimes it's hilarious and hearing people laugh, but the best part is when it just fails <laughs> and he doesn't stop talking about it. And so you can just long stretches of no laughter longer stretches of no laughter oh the soap isn't there oh the hot water doesn't work it must be a ghost nothing 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 and that those are the most cherished moments of my comedy career is to see a good friend fail in a hilarious way because i know it's so good he knows it's really good and sometimes it just doesn't catch other times it does so Matt Bergoon, he's definitely one of the real ones around here. And when you guys laugh at each other's failures, is it kind of in that camaraderie way where you commiserate about it afterwards? A hundred percent. It could be me. It has been me. That's, that's what's so funny about it is to like be able to take away the hurt maybe of like a bomb or something like that you mm -hmm. know like when you bomb a set you're kind of like oh that that's a bummer but you know seeing somebody that you really respect um see them bomb as well sometimes it's like okay you know what we are all in this together 
and then it just grows that friendship more because then we get to be like oh oh they just don't get us man oh we're just too smart and clever oh we're geniuses <laughs> you're a genius now you're a genius that was a man. great joke that was a great joke you're hilarious they just don't get it <laughs> We're full of shit, of course, but <laughs> but it brings us closer together as friends. That's great. I like that. I uh, as you were explaining that the the whole watching each other fail, I was thinking of you know growing up snowboarding and falling, right? And like so, me and my friends to this day will remember certain falls, you know, like, oh, remember when you fell off that cliff and it was gnarly and you landed on mm-hmm. your back and, you know, it's it's war stories, right? Yeah. Yes, precisely. And I bet that, you know, how many, how many ways can you fall, right? Like you fall in doing snowboarding, Cody. I mean, if you see somebody also fall, you probably know exactly how that fell mm-hmm. felt. You'd be like, oh man, you know, your your shoulder went out on that one, didn't it? Yeah, it did. You know, be and that's the same with bombing, you know, on stage to where your mouth goes dry. There's a little bit of sweat going down your back. These are almost universal sensations mm-hmm. when it comes to bombing, doing stand-up comedy. Okay, so I sent out a couple texts as well as asked the crude Instagram if they had any questions for you. Crude boys. <laughs> you do that yet? Do you do crude boys? I don't think so. No. What is that? That's just your fans or whatever, your readers? I don't know. <laughs> or are you naming them now? I could. I came up with something. How was that? Was well, that, I think that was there's terrible. women too. Nah, that's a good point. All right. Crude people. You know what? Yeah. Never mind. Stricken from the record. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for these questions? All right. Let's go. Okay. So the first one is John Norris, local comedian in Anchorage, told me to ask you about your days playing in punk bands. They were a lot of fun. I had some really good memories and I'm an absolutely terrible musician. I can't believe that I got away with it for as long as I did because for someone with as little musical talent as I have, I played for eight years in front of people, and I got away with it sometimes. Do you remember, I don't know, something that sticks out to you during that time? Something oh, that kind sure. of encapsulates that whole time? So we were performing at Coots, and most of my band at the time were like 18 years old, 19 years old. I was just like 21, and... So our, all of our parents came to the show and we were the demonic squirrels, which is an awesome <laughs> name. We covered, we, we were covered in blood. We were, um, death punk is what we wanted to call ourselves. And we looked up to Guar as our punk rock inspirations. So we do this set with something I guess you could call music. It certainly had a lot of energy and at the end, um, we do a cover of baby got back, which I get to sing and somebody came by a young lady came by and was really enjoying that song. And at the end of it, she took off her top and then she insisted we all take a picture with her. And so somewhere out there, there's a photo of a topless woman with surrounded by dudes who are covered in blood and 19 and 21 years old. And just on the other side of that camera are our parents 
a couple of grandparents are there just trying to support their kids, their punk rock dreams. Demonic squirrel. Demonic squirrels, plural. Plural, okay. So John also said that he's seen you yell at an old man twice. Oh God. Yeah. I'm <laughs> guessing that's probably John that's probably George Faust, who is another uh, comic around town. And he is definitely somebody I should have talked about. Um, that probably would have been a more interesting story than Matt Bragoon. But George Faust is a performer from way back here in Anchorage. And he used to even do juggling uh, at the Saturday market. He was a performer for a long time. Juggler, clown, and throughout the years, he's just kind of bopped around to scene to scene. And he found himself doing stand-up comedy uh, with us here in, uh, here in Anchorage. And he just has a personality to where it can be a little, a little grating sometimes, just like so many of us. And it's kind of like I see it as a family atmosphere. And so sometimes any number of us can kind of like um, be annoyed. So, yeah, it's probably George Faust. And he's a very interesting fellow. <laughs> and I have called him during covid so anytime i've ever been mean to him where it's like george please i can't handle talking to you right now i feel bad about later on i go hey george how are you getting through all this so it's like my tuesdays with maury <laughs> wish i had more for you on that one no, thank you john good. thanks for the help john shout out to john an episode i did not listen to because I would feel terrible if he did not mention me on his episode, and I'd be mortified if he had. So I was like, I'm just going to stay clear of that one. <laughs> so Quentin Oliver Smith asks, what are the differences between being a comedian to a crowd in real life and being a comedian or playing to a crowd on the radio? You know, you uh, can go to a song on the radio. It's quicker. You have an in and an out, and you have you know, uh, you have a song to lean up against. So if something isn't going right, I can just play a song. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, you know, stand-up comedy to a crowd, there's nowhere to go. There isn't a song to start playing. You know, uh, bands have a really wonderful tool with their instruments. They can do a little between-song banter, and if something, you know, just kind of, if the momentum dies a little bit, the lead singer can say, well... Here's this one, and they go into it. Mm -hmm. Comedy, you are talking until you are leaving the stage. Do you have a script when you're on the radio, or are you just freestyling everything? I think about what I'm going to say, and I might like do a couple of different takes if it's something, you know, if I want to get a lot of jokes into 45 seconds. I may like, you know, retake it a couple of times if it's something pre-recorded, but uh, I think about what I want to say and I know how I want to end it at the very least. So I can just kind of like, you know, freestyle, get to that end part and then get out of there. I like that. You know how you're going to end it. I always try to make a conscious effort of how I'm going to begin a podcast and the more that I do, the more that I realize that that doesn't always play out, mm -hmm. like hardly ever. But the ending usually plays out pretty well. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we, you know, I mean, you and I in a conversation, eh, we find a rapport, 
you know, maybe things are like stilted at the beginning or maybe a little awkward in places, but eventually you just kind of find your rhythm with somebody. And, um, and, and so, you know, like why try to plan something that's already going to be potentially a little clunky to begin with, you know, cause if you really overthink it and go, and now we begin, eh, well, yeah, you're just asking for disaster sometimes. Yeah. A lot of the time I actually really like the, the idea of just pressing record. You know, I always, I always tell guests, you know, when I'm going to press record, I'm like, Hey, are you ready? Just so they're not, you know, it doesn't sneak up on them. But I do like pressing record, like as we're setting up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's been a couple of podcasts that I've done in the past where I hit record as soon as possible, just to get any kind of, you know, little jitterbugs out of the way, you know, because there's always that little moment of like, okay, we, we're going to start now. And then people go, oh, what? Oh, okay, okay, okay. So if you just hit hit it early by three minutes into the podcast, when it actually starts, mm -hmm. things are feeling a little smoother, in my opinion. Have you ever had a, a guest on the radio or a guest on your podcast where you're talking to them before the podcast and then you press record and then they just completely transform into a different person? Oh, uh, no, I don't think so for myself i mean i'm sure that there's times where i haven't um you know what no i i i i get that like doing this um documentary you know that's been kind of a thing where uh yeah we have this great rapport while the cameras are off because i don't really like interview people a whole lot um in my in my work i you know i'm alone in the studio when I do podcasts, it's usually like friends and there's more of a group atmosphere, you know, mm -hmm. but in this uh, documentary where I'm actually answering, a asking questions and waiting for, for answers, um, you know, that's been kind of a struggle. And so, yeah, we'll have this great rapport. Then you hit record and then everyone's thinking about what they're saying too much. And I've probably been guilty of that a little bit in this um, podcast but eventually you just kind of wait for, you know, that moment to where they just kind of go with the flow mm -hmm. and eventually basically everybody gets there. How much time you're willing to put into it to wait for them to relax is up, is up to you. Um, but I've kind of, yeah, run into that a couple of times. Like when I interviewed George Faust for the documentary that hopefully somebody will see one day, um, it started off super stiff a little bit awkward by the end of it he's juggling for the camera mm -hmm. he's talking openly about his life and his process and it just it felt a lot better yeah that's great there's been so many times um and now i just trust that i'll reach those moments and more often than not i do reach those moments where you're just like yes like i we got there you know like we we met that rapport or we we gained that rapport and we uncovered some kind of truce in humanity no and you're super good at it like i usually i pride myself on wanting to hear other people i'm a good listener mm -hmm. and i've hardly heard from you at all during this and i am honestly like i don't talk about myself this often ever but you know just something about you i guess you um you know you're, you're a good listener cody whatever you're doing man is working for you maybe it's 
that I have kind eyes. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> Just a hint of sadness. It makes me want to cheer you up. Makes me want to dive into my soul a little bit to let you know that I'm also a wounded bird. That I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So Pulse Dance Company asks, has having a baby changed your creative process or has it impacted your passion for comedy at all? Yeah, um... You know, my number one passion right now is my family. Mm -hmm. So that's just the number one thing in my life right now. And that's what I want to focus on more than anything is just making sure I don't uh, raise an asshole, you know? So I'm, uh, I'm enjoying that. It's a brand new experience, which is super exciting. And I've been enjoying it and I've been enjoying uh, putting the time in. Mm -hmm. chase the rooster on instagram asks what's the best pickup line to yell at a woman walking away from you wow um i feel like that's an inside joke that i should know the answer to but i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't know man i am not good with uh <laughs> with pickup lines they've never worked Oh man. I guess the one thing I think of is uh, I'll I want to eat your pussy forever. How about that? <laughs> oh my god. Think that would work? I don't know. I don't think so. No, I don't think no. I don't think mm. it would work at all. <laughs> <laughs> it probably didn't. <laughs> Which actually ironically leads perfectly into this next question and I told you that I knew how I was going to end this episode. So John Norris said to ask you about the bit you did where you ate a watermelon on stage. Oh, wow. Okay. Was, I say, oh, wow, like that was so long ago. <laughs> um, you know what like a weird thing is, is I don't really remember these bits all that well, especially for these one-off shows, but it was for some show that we were doing and it just was awful, man. Like I, I feel like um, with a watermelon... I was showing how I eat ass. <laughs> I did that by smashing my face into a watermelon like it, I'm Gallagher. <laughs> like my face was the, the Gallagher mallet and I would uh, smash my face into a watermelon. And I tried to like do some fruit carving to make the watermelon look like a butt, but I'm such... Uh, a terrible artist when it comes to tactile things like carving into fruit <laughs> that I just turned this watermelon into like this mangled flag of fl failure. <laughs> There's hunks taken out. And uh, so for the grand finale, I just uh, threw my face into that bad boy. And I tell you what, man, it got a good reaction. Like I, it sounds gross and dumb to be like, "This is how I eat butt," and I <laughs> throw my face into a melon. But you know, you gotta admit, like, nah, you'd probably pay two dollars to see that. And don't do that because it turns out watermelon is very painful. I got watermelon juice into my nasal cavity, and I was tearing up for hours because the sugars or something seized up my sinuses hmm. and i was really going through something inside of my face so 
learn take it from old maddie collins uh you know what just stick with the real thing kids were there seeds in the watermelon oh yeah dude i am not good enough to take out any seeds i may have tried to buy a seedless watermelon thinking that i was thinking ahead but yeah i just smashed my face in there once i like said something in the microphone like repeated myself to make sure everyone got the point and i just threw my face back into that melon <laughs> it was something for live performance and you know what man that's never gonna happen again it was that's the great thing about live stuff i'm sure someone got it on their cell phone but you know in uh in theory that moment is gone forever out there in the ether well that's something that you can't really do on radio i could it wouldn't matter we've done crazier things i guess that's true yeah <laughs> well matt this has been so awesome oh cool I've had a really good time. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Cody. And, uh, you know, congratulations on the show and, you know, and the magazine, you're doing everything right, man. Just, you know, keep on rocking in the free world. You can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>